Welcome to the Boardroom Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bass. Over the past couple of years, there's been a backlash against imported surfboards. I should note this isn't a new phenomenon. A few decades ago, SurfTech was the target. Of late, it has been other manufacturers, including Firewire and Global Surf Industries, manufacturers of Hayden Shapes. Peter Schroff is perhaps the most engaging with his performance art, specifically and famously for his chainsaw to a Hayden-shaped surfboard whilst wearing a Speedo and galoshes. Schroff's video was an Instagram mega hit. Many board builders and surfers have chimed in with quote-unquote likes and quote-unquote thumbs up, and often providing their own form of social media vitriol against the imported surfboard manufacturers. Another voice that was to be heard, and one that is slightly more cogent than the others, is that of Dennis Jarvis, a longtime Los Angeles resident, surfer, and shaper. More specifically, Dennis is from the South Bay, a hotbed of surfboard manufacturing since before Gidget. Think of names and brands like Joe Quigg, Dale Velzi, Greg Knoll, Hap Jacobs, Bing Copeland, and Dewey Weber. The list of South Bay manufacturing luminaries is long and prestigious and continues to this day. In the beginning, it was all about the surfboard, the only thing that mattered, from ancient Polynesia to the WSL World Tour, from Waikiki to Mavericks, from Endless Summer to Surfline, and now to Instagram. As the eras pass, what we've worn or said or listened to or traveled to or read or watched are just sidebars on surfing's timeline. Because the history of our sport is the history of the surfboard. Nothing has defined the surfing experience more than that on which we ride waves. Nothing defines you and I more than our surfboard. So much more than a tool, the surfboard is a philosophical icon. A sacred craft, as I named it 11 years ago. A culturally pervasive symbol of freedom, adventure, and enduring youth. Watch a 60-year-old man put a new surfboard under his arm and notice the smile of a teenager. The surfboard builder was once the primary arbiter of surfing culture, from those early Hawaiian kahunas to the first wave of board manufacturers in the early 60s, who I've mentioned, and also include Hobie, Hansen, Doug Hout, and many others. These labels, the surfboards they produced, and the way this product was marketed shaped surf culture, both literally and figuratively. It was all about the ride. What you wore came second. Yet as the decades passed, the emphasis shifted away from the surfboard. The surf magazines became the main cultural hub, establishing ethical and aesthetic boundaries and ultimately marginalizing the role of the surfboard in their increasingly narrow portrayal of the sport and culture. According to the surf mags throughout much of the 80s and 90s, there was only one way to surf, a monoboard culture, if you will. At the same time, the burgeoning surfwear industry began to eclipse all other commercial elements of the sport. Riding a swell of endorsement-based marketing, these soft good companies became our cultural leaders, creating the imagery and feeding it to a media who in turn fed this pre-digested vision back to us. And now, in 2018, social media detonated any understanding of who is in charge of stewarding our culture. This is not to say there's been any sort of deliberate attempt to commoditize our passion. The surf media is not evil. Social media is not evil. But we can get off track a bit. Our culture arises from riding surfboards on waves. It is all about the surfboard, has always been about the surfboard. We should therefore place surf culture, its influence, its importance, its responsibility back into the hands of the artisans who shape our sacred craft and ultimately our future. 
So the question before us, a group of like-minded individuals, surfers, is this. Are we afraid of the imported surfboard? Let us begin. Dennis Jarvis, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Love the joint down here, by the way. Yeah, we're at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center in San Clemente, the Smithsonian, if you will, of the surf world. At least that's sort of how they glossed it. And um, there's some cool stuff here, right? I mean, it's oh, Smithsonian I, I worthy. That Griffin art right when you walk in, the original, and I'm just freaking out. You know, I'm a, I'm a hack artist that's looking for a a new venture all the time. I see that stuff and it just pisses me off. Guys are so talented. Did you, so did you get the backstory on that Griffin thing? No. So they were tearing down a home above Haggerty's and one of the builders that was demoing the building was like, Hey, I think we've got something here. I'm not sure what it is. He wasn't a surfer. And they contacted somebody somehow and they got a hold of the surfing heritage and culture center. And they're like, Hey, come up and take a look at this. So, um, I'm having an old man moment. I can't remember the guy's name, but, um, an old Haggerty's guy that you know. And, I just can't, and I've seen him a million times. I just can't remember his name. Anyway, they contacted him to kind of verify what this is. And he's like, oh, yeah. In fact, backstory real quick. The guy I'm talking about is the guy that Rick Griffin made Murphy, sort of characterized Murphy after. Do you know who I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah What's yeah, that guy's yeah. name? Do you know? No. Not, not purpose. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Anyway, um, older than that. But so they contacted this guy, this and this builder came to – Point Loma, or excuse me, um, Palos Verdes, and was like, this is a real Griffin. This might have been Griffin's bedroom. And so they they cut that slab that you see hanging in here of that Griffin art and took it out. And we somehow we put it on a truck and got it down here. But it's really, um, it's like mortar or something. Like it's very easy to just, for that stuff to just fall apart. And so they were very delicate and they moved it. And they, so the, in other words, they couldn't just peel the art off the wall. They had to take the entire wall oh with God. the like studs and everything. And, then, and it has a couple of cracks in it. I'm thinking, how do you fix those? They don't want to touch it. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. the thought is, is this might be Rick Griffin's bedroom. So I don't even know if that's the same two pieces. But um, so I grew up, I grew up in the South Bay and um, Hap Jacobs. Hold on for just a sec, because what I want to do is I want to introduce oh, you to the listeners. There you go. So Dennis Jarvis founded Spider Surfboards in 1978. In 79, Dennis, you went on the world tour, the ASB IPS. In 82, you're on the cover of Surfer Magazine, which is really awesome, right? As a kid, that's like the ultimate, or at least it was. Uh, in 1983, you opened Spider Surfboards. In 91, you were the technical advisor to Point Break. And you worked with those actors and kind of you were, you guided that movie through some of the surf parts. Um, 97, you opened your second 6,000 square foot spider surf shop in or on Hermosa Plaza. In 97, you founded Spider Built Clothing Company. In 2015, you were inducted into the South Bay Surfers Walk of Fame, along with Dewey Weber, Greg, Greg Noll, Hap Jacobs, Del Velzi, many others that are in that Walk of Fame. And in 2016, you opened your third store in Manhattan Beach, 
and you won LA's Best Shaper nine out of 15 times. And from 94 to 97, you've manufactured close to 12,000 surfboards domestically. So that gives our listeners an idea. If they didn't already know, Dennis, who you were, now we've got some some background. Okay, so I think that's it. I can leave the room. Right. We covered a lot there. The reality is that from about 94 to 97, 98, we were doing 12,000 boards a year. That's that's kind of the crux of the thing is, you know, I come from a a different perspective in the surf culture. I, I think there's... You know, I don't know how many founder, shaper, owner, you know, there are left in the United States. You know, I, I mean, when 2009 happened, I know three to five guys that, that their stores went completely away. Rumor was circulating from all the vendors that we lost 2,500, if not more, of the action sports um, branded stores. And there's a big hole in the marketplace, you know, for uh, for true action sports. But then you know, if you have a couple of bucks, you open a surf shop, maybe you're not a shaper, maybe you haven't been on the tour, maybe you haven't put the hours in the shaping room or smelling the stinky resin, and you just think it's a good business model, and you do it. And people have done it, and they're very successful at it. So, you know, I think, you know, just the conversations that we have, uh, you know, today, you know, in in, in specific, I was going to talk about the Griffin art up there, because I'm, um, I'm, uh, my shaping room used to be in the Greg Knoll building that's on Cypress in Hermosa Beach where he blew all his own blanks, glassed all his own boards right there and shipped them all around the world. And, um, and, and I remember, I don't know if those are the two pieces, but I remember about four or five years ago, maybe more, but my buddy pulled up these two griffins that came out of a house. I don't know if it was from PV, but it might be. And those might be the two pieces that I'm reunited with now here in San Clemente. Oh, interesting. Isn't <laughs> yeah. that cool? I'm yeah, sure it so was because it was kind of a, it was making the rounds amongst those that are in the know that, hey, they've stopped demoing on this building for the specific purpose to pull these two Rick Griffin pieces off of this wall or take the whole wall. And so I'm sure, it might, it, you know, the odds are that it may Well, was. I was just texting my buddy to see if that was his, but then it turned out I was texting the wrong guy. So anyhow, <laughs> oh, well. moving on from that. Uh, you were an exhibitor at the Boardroom International Surfboard Show this year, and I yeah. thank you for that. Your booth was a much as much, Dennis, about informing the public as it was about showcasing your board. So maybe tell the listeners a little bit about the information that you were trying to get out there. So, you know, keeping everything on up, um, you know, there's some stuff happening where I, I have a, a lot of friends that are in, in our industry and they're artisan board builders that are no longer able to afford to build boards to make a living at. And, and again, I'm not... You know, my goal wasn't to be the brave heart of the surf industry. I'm not championing any big cause, but I had to I had to get a pulse. I had to get a, a a bearing on what is actually happening in our surf culture industry, right? You know, the actual artisan board builders, the manufacturers, the guys that are you know feeding their kids and making a living off it. And what better place to go put my finger on the pulse or get a temperature than your boardroom show, which um, I went down there with my whole family. We tried to turn it into a vacation, but, you know, I mean, it was, it, it was really... It's a lot uh, of work. It was a lot of work. I had no idea. Um, and, you know, we had some provocative stuff up, but everything I stated was true. Um, and, you know, again, um, as we were talking before the show, my goal here was just to get a pulse on where do people stand on um, imported surfboards. And me personally... Um, I, I'm just one guy. I, I'm not out to put anybody out of business. My goal is not to, uh, 
to berate anybody or to do anything negative. However, uh, there's some kind of unfair practices that our government allows. So none of these guys are breaking the law. They're they're making a lot of money. You know, they're million millionaires, and um, and good for them. You know, I would like to be a millionaire one day too. Um, but our government allows surfboards coming in from Asia and you know all over the world, and there's absolutely no import duty now. About three months before you and I started talking about me coming to the boardroom show, I didn't believe that. I didn't believe it at all. But I was shipping some surfboards to Australia. I shipped, uh, it was 12 fireballs. And um, I sell my fireballs here for $850, right? They sell them there, and they cost me a fortune to make everybody out there. So it's not, I'm, anyhow. Uh, and they ended up having to sell the boards in Australia for $1,400. Now, I know that there's a hidden tariff and there's all kinds of other I probably said that wrong there's a hidden import duty on on their side and I thought wow you know how are you going to sell those boards for 1400 bucks I'm not the Dennis Jarvis shaper of 1995 where I had every hot surfer on my team I'm I'm a guy who still shapes better than I have you know when I was younger my boards are way better I, I compare my boards to everybody now because I'm I'm solo shaper I don't have other people helping me and um and so it just seemed unfair to me, and I wanted to see if anybody else thought it was unfair. So I came down to the show, and people were just Instagramming me, Dennis underscore Jarvis at Instagram, however that works. And they were saying, we want to see these fireballs in person, right? So I figured, what a great way to do this, to meet other people, which I love Instagram. I meet so many unbelievably talented shapers and glassers and airbrushers, and they're just unbelievable. And I see them, and I just go... I go, wow, you're above and beyond what I could ever imagine, you know. And then when I meet him in person, and, and the dialogue that opened up, like Matt from Kazuma Surf, you know, I mean, him and I kind of hit it off. He was the first one that I connected with, and he's just such a lover, right? Yeah. And and me coming from my pro career or whatever, I had a huge ego, and I had to be, my ego had to be better than I ever was in order to try to excel to that. And um, and and I kind of, I think Instagram kind of shook those webs off and they're and it's kind of gone because i'm communicating i'm doing a collab with the guys at vulcan vulcan down at dane is doing a uh when we're doing a board together and it's like 1994 that probably would never happen you know right. um and so so through age and through some maturity and through instagram, instagram yeah we've sanded off some of the rough edges yeah oh for sure and I, and, and so um and through that you know, I'm getting other people that are going, hey, I remember you, Jarvis, you know, my favorite board. Because, you know, the surfboard shaper or manufacturer, you don't make a, a, a product, you make a memory. You know, I mean, the, most people, like, especially on the East Coast, we killed it. And we did these fireball fishes, but we also did these boards called the frogs and the hogs. And they were kind of like the introductory into the fish movement that we have now. It came from the fireball fish, which wasn't a fish at all. And, 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 and I get these people and they're going, dude, you're around still. And I'm like, well, yeah, I didn't go anywhere. I just don't do wholesale anymore. I'm just with my own business, you know, taking care of our stores and our family business. And, um, and they go, man, the best board I ever had was a frog. I remember riding it, it, you know, X, Y, jetty, and it was perfect. And that was my best tube I ever had. Thank you. And I'm like, I get kind of beclamped, you know, I'm going, wow, I didn't make this guy a surfboard. I made him a memory and the memory is good. And then he'll, through the Instagram, we'll go, can I get a new one? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course you can get a new one. You get a better new one. You know, let's do something even cooler. Yeah. So, um, 
So so back to the boardroom. Yeah. So in your booth. So my booth was I had I brought some petitions and and one petition is going to the Congress and the other petition is going to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And um, I had had conversations with guys that worked for Clinton and some other stuff, and they said this is the way to go about it. And I go, my 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 focus was to get 150 signatures. 100, 150. 150 signatures total. Total. Right. And I got 400, which right. tells me that the temperature is hot. Right. And then I went, oh my gosh, this is you know, and I. I and the wanna... petitions are specifically let's let's get a tariff going for well, boards so, that are. So we just launched a website. I'm working with a couple of people, local shapers in Hermosa. They're also doing some work for me, um, and uh, we did a. Uh, it's called AmericanBoardBuilders.com. www.americanboardbuilders.com, and our website just went up, and it's the three pillars of what we stand on. And these are the three banners that were in these your booth? These are the booth? three, well, the three pillars that were in the banner. One mm -hmm. is, we think it's unfair business practice that there's no import duty. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fair. I mean, I'm not here to, to defend anybody. I'm here to save my business and to save my, my, my job. Yeah. You know, and if I'm getting, you know, if, if other things are happening around us and boards are coming in cheaper but sold at, at, at a premium price, I mean then something's wrong with the equation, in my opinion. You know, and again, it's just... Is it more a matter of the margin on the board, though? Like, let's say, you said your fireball goes for, what, 875, did you say? Or 750? 8.50. 8.50. Mm -hmm. So let's say that there's a, a Tomo or a Slater or um, a, a Hayden Shape, uh, all, all imported boards. And those retail for, like, let's just roughly say 775, right? Or something. I mean, I'm guessing, but it's right around there. So let's... I guess what I'm getting at is if we're if you're selling boards at let's say 800 and they're selling boards at roughly 775, like like the price point is the same. Um, is that gonna that that there's a problem there, right? Because still their margins are huge relative to your margin. Your margin on a 750 board, I'm imagining, is probably 20. percent Well, well, yeah. And I don't know what theirs are, but I've heard rumblings that obviously because they have. A cheaper cost to build, their margin is going to be larger. Well, so first of all, so know, and I guess what I'm saying is, is a tariff going to help that? Or well, so so moving away from all of that because the price sold is the price sold, and I, and and whatever you believe you can get through surfboard, I believe you should try. I know guys that are selling longboards for fourteen hundred bucks, and they're worth every freaking penny, right? Um, you know, Tyler Hazikian, dude, put. I mean, I he was my glasser back in the day and his shortboards were okay but his longboards he's a throwback from the 60s and he's unbelievable and he gets premium dollars and he works his butt off to get what he gets i do the same only i have a different genre that i fit in so it's really not even about the the retail it's about there's a consignment thing that's going on and that's the thing that gets me the most because i do come from both sides i'm not just in a garage shaping surfboards for people you know i actually have retail stores yes so i'm and i'm highly competitive in that because it's a dying industry brick and mortar is going away and so when i started finding out that guys with three or four hundred surfboards in their shops have no vested interest and it cost me sixty five thousand dollars to fill my shop with my surfboards I said that's wrong. So, I can't I can't stop any of these multi-million dollar shaper designer surfboard companies. I can't shut them down. That's not my job and I don't want to. I think that they they bring fun to the sport to a certain extent. But what we can do or we can try to do is um, have a fair import duty put on them. And if you put the import duty on in the proper fashion, then that's going to elevate the price of that surfboard to make it 
not as uh, warranted to do the consignment model. And actually, so so a lot of these bigger stores, they, they throw in 25 surfboards. And I have the math. And if, if they put in 25 surfboards on consignment, they only have to sell 6.25% of those surfboards. They only have to sell six and a quarter surfboards to pay for all 25. Then when they refill it with the five, they only have to sell one and a half surfboards to pay for the other five. Then when they sell one more, they've actually turned it into, now it's pure profit. It's like a rental business. And so that's a great model if you want to get wealthy. It truly is. I mean, the model is right there. However, um, what happens is these retailers, some of them that give highly competitive and they want to discount it just to make the sale. So they discount it maybe to what their cost is. So it's an $800 surfboard, whatever the amount is, and they discount it knocking some, some major dollars off. And I'm here, you know, with my permits and my insurances and my overhead and I, and I got to eke out you know, a couple of bucks so I can keep my lights on and my door open. And because there is no vested interest by the retailer, they can do what they wish. As long as maybe they throw in that you want to buy a hat, you want to buy the deck, you know, some, some traction, you want to get a leash. All of these other things are out on sales. And the bottom line is, can I make you a new customer? So it kind of turns into a lost leader in some ways. And I'm witness to it. Or do you think a tariff is going to solve that problem? Well, let's just say if we could get a 500% tariff and the board's cost. Is that realistic? I have no, no it's idea. totally not. Oh. And, and we could talk about Biolis and Grubby Clark actually went to Congress. Yeah. And the problem was, and this is where we kind of win now, is we have a thing called Kickstarter. So there's a couple of really cool things that are happening. What was the problem before you um, gloss over that? What was the problem? Because I, I reached well, out to Matt. I never got back from him. Okay, he so got... he, he reached But out I know to... he's gone down this road. Right, so mentioned. he reached out to me and said, Dennis, let, let's talk about it. You know, the petition and stuff isn't going to work. Well, I know the petition won't do it. And I know that, that you have to hire a lobbyist. Right. But you have to have a forward momentum in order to do it. Right. So if we can, if we could double the cost of these surfboards then it turns it into where the consignment model is not as profitable and it doesn't make as much sense. Right. Right. So that's the only thing we have. That's the only game we have. We so don't we're, have anything we're trying else. to turn an $800 surfboard into a $1,600 surfboard through, well, through this tariff. No, no, we're not. I'm just wondering. I'm, no, we're just trying to level the playing field. In fact, that's the first pillar, level the playing field. Right. Let's, let's let those surfboards that are manufactured in a foreign country cost the same. And, and it's just, so did you know, this is a fact, that um, un until 1913, that our our government deficit was paid off every single year by a 20%, a 28% tariff on all imported goods. And it wasn't until 1913 when we dislodged it that we actually created a deficit that we've never been able to pull our way out of. So I'm just saying that 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 import duties have a a means to them, and and if it keeps our air clean. I'm okay with it. I'm just I'm just trying to wrap my head around well, the if math. They wanna, if they so want, you go to Congress, right? Right. So you get a lobbyist. You got to pay yeah. for a lobbyist. But what is the end game to get this? What does leveling the playing field mean? If if a board costs me four hundred and fifty dollars to make whatever it is with the overhead in, I'm just looking to level the playing field. I think that if know, my board costs, does that mean that? Like what's the price? I'm I'm just interested in the price structure. Does that mean that? Well, I don't even see. Here's the thing: is like like we're having this conversation. I just started this, right? right. This is just something I don't even know if like on our website. If I don't reach and and if if there isn't the, uh, I'm again I'm I'm not Braveheart. I'm right. not putting blue paint right. on my face and running around saying I'm hero. If there isn't a overwhelming 
uh, flow of artisan surfboard manufacturers that back this thing, I'm out. Yeah, I got, I got, I got other fun things to do, man. And yeah. I'll still shape surfboards. I'm doing more than I ever have, so it's not really about my surfboards. I mean, I'm shaping more this year than I have over the past three years because I'm really focused on making the best board out there, and people see yeah. it. They hold my surfboards, they compare it to everybody else. They know it's not an import, and they go, "Dude, I will pay that because you." And they come and they visit me. We have conversations. I I do uh, shaping schools for kids and for adults. You know, so I mean, the, the give back that I try to do and just try to keep the artisan thing alive. So you're asking me a question that I don't even know what the answer is yet, because this is the first stage. Right. But ideally, I mean, I mean, and I'm just I'm like you, like I'm not real great with math, but I'm just thinking to myself, OK, if the end goal of the petition is to level the playing field, let's level the that's pillar number one. Let's yeah. level the playing field. So leveling the playing field means. So do you I'm think just trying to wrap my head? What does that mean? If both boards are coming in, if I'm walking in as a consumer and I'm looking at your board and, and I'm looking at an imported board and they're eight hundred dollars, let's just say they're roughly about the same amount. Um, but your margin's way less than the margin on the import. The imported yes. board, maybe, I don't even know. Let's just yes. say the margin's 50% and your margin's 25%. Okay. So what we need to do is get your margin to the same margin as the margin on the imported board or the other way around, right? So there's, so there's really, um, you know, and again, I've been through the fire twice. Uh, you know, once in the 80s when I had Derek Hine and a bunch of guys and really didn't put that much time and energy to try to become a brand. And then through the 90s with, you know, Tom Curran and Frankie Oberholzer and, you know, the Ross Williams, that group. Um, and so it, it is basically it's a promotional thing, you know. But uh, so if if you don't have the team, you can have a great product. In fact, my product now is equal, if not better than a lot of the stuff I see out there. And I'm not being boastful. I'm just saying that I work really tirelessly to make the best product I can. And that doesn't make... I mean, and there's other people that are equally as good, but they're not selling their surfboards for fifteen hundred dollars to try, try to make the same, the same margin that you're speaking of. So you're you're asking me a percentage. I don't know what legally right. is what legally is available because right. I haven't talked to my congressman about right, it. Right. Right. But let's just say this: if if the surfboards cost an imported surfboard, and I've heard this is a real number. $150 they come into the United States and there's right. no tariff on it. There's no import duty. Right. So it's $150 plus there's like the container fee is 495 bucks and there's some like 0.0038%. And that all goes to where the port it landed in. Mm -hmm. So you get your board landed. It's $160 with all that. In. Yeah. Let's just say it. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's say it's 200 just to make a, a big okay. round number. Well, it's easier to work with 200. 200. Again, I'm not a mathematician. So 200 is great. Um, it's really easy for me to put 25 of those boards on consignment Yeah. because I know once I sell now, you've raised the price. Now, once I sell seven of them, they're all paid for. They're bought and paid for. Right. And because I'm a superstar, those 25 are probably going to sell seven of them pretty soon because the marketing on the media side is nothing but positive. In fact, this is the first time other than you know, uh, PS who's done very negative about, there's been a lot of negative. Oh, we, yes. Peter yes. Schroff. Was so there's been a lot to. of negative. And he's I've already done, mentioned him in the, in the lead into okay, this. Okay. So he's, he's, um, you know, he, I think he's misunderstood, but he's also a little nuts. And, and I even told some people that I think that some of the stuff he's done is unbelievably mean and mean spirited. 
but the one thing he did do is he kind of he kind of shook it up a little bit, you know, yeah. and he made people kind of wake up a little bit. Now, if they're really awake, then we're going to see people kind of gather behind this thing. And and again, it's level the playing field. If I can get something for a dollar, but you have to pay ten for it, but I want to sell it, and you have to sell yours for twenty, and I and I get to sell mine for twenty, well, that's leveling the playing field because right now I'm going to I'm going to be able to discount mine if I wish, and I still make more margin. Than you that's that's what they do at discount stores, right? Mm -hmm. Is that they sell mass yeah, products volume. In, the, in the volume and so they make their margin there. So, um, Let me play devil's advocate yeah. for just a sec and ask you this. It certainly takes a lot of money. I guess let's just say they, how many boards do you think they get on a container? I have no idea, do you? I have no idea. Let's say they bring in 5,000 boards on a container and it costs them 200 bucks. So you're looking at what, 100 grand? Is that right? 5,000 and yeah. So yeah, can you do that? I think it's a hundred grand. So they're putting out a hundred grand, like which is a lot of capital to throw around, at least for you and I it is, maybe not for And your return's four hundred thousand dollars. But there's no guarantee on the return. But not every single well, because there's pre books, because there's pre orders and, and we know a lot of shop or manufacturers that do that. In fact a lot of them are kinda of, some of them that are based out of California are still leaning towards that way. Um, so you know that you I would say these are really rich, smart people. They're not going to go and do that $100,000 container unless they know that they've the already are sold win. them yeah. or they've already made their they've already made their money back off of them. Yeah. I think that's my point. I don't know if they have or they have it. Yeah. My again, my deal here is is specific. So pillar number 1 is level the playing field right. from a fiscal standpoint. Whatever that means, we're not sure yet and we need experts to kind of come help us and hopefully this petition will be get well, to a place where you'll You'll get enough interest. The lobbyists will go, hey, we can help you understand the numbers, and then you guys can kind of get to it. Or right. we. So, so the petition is, you know, I don't mean to step on you. The petition yeah. is, for me, it's another temperature gauge because I have guys calling me from Texas telling me horror stories. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I have, I have, you know, Matt Keckley texting me and telling me information. I mean, these are guys that are, you know, pillars in the community on the East Coast. And they're going, dude, you know, what are you doing? And I keep saying, I'm not Braveheart, you guys. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there and let's see what happens. But somebody's going to have to take this away from me because I can't do it. So, um, 
and, and I, one thing I'm, I'm just trying to figure out is, you know, why is it wrong? I mean, I mean, I, there is some people out there going, oh, well, you know, he's trying to shut these guys. I'm not trying to shut anybody down, but I'm trying to defend my livelihood. You know, it's my family I have to feed. It's my sure. It's my employees I have to take care of. It's it's our rent that I have to do. So I have to figure out what's my best reaction to what's happening in the industry. And from what I've seen so far, it's all positive feedback on the side for for the other guys. And this is the first time where, and, and again, it should be positive on their side. What do you what do you tell? A 14-year-old kid that's just like, I just want to ride a Kelly Slater surfboard. Like, you know what I mean? Well, like, he comes all, into your store and he's I just... I, I mean, you and I have both been 14, right. just starstruck. You know, we probably, you know, wanted to ride whoever, you know, Larry well, Bertelman or something. I don't know. Let's call it XYZ. Because one thing is, um, I have mentioned names a, a long time ago. And I'll, t I mean, I, I, look, there's no malice. I mean, this, right. the fact of the matter is Kelly no, Slater's making, he's like the 11 time yeah, world but, champion and my son wants to ride a Kelly Slater right. surfboard. So what do you tell my son? Get right a Kelly Slater surfboard. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I, it's not my fight. It's yeah. like people tell me, uh, you know, today I got a text from Bobby knew I was, Bob Hurley is a good friend of mine. He told yeah. me, I, and we went on these scooters and I took him out to lunch in Hermosa. You and, and Bob Hurley on yeah. scooters. Yeah. It was really fun. <laughs> you couldn't put his helmet on the interesting. right way. Love yeah. Bob. Anyhow, and he said, "Hey, weren't those scooters made, uh, you know, somewhere else?" Like, you know, he's 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 a very level-headed, smart businessman. He's cunning, and I don't make scooters, Bob. You know what? You know what I don't do? I don't make foam boards. So if you're going to tell me, hey, you sell foam boards made in China in your shop too? And, oh, and t-shirts. You know what? The seamstresses and the and the tailors they gave up their fight a long time. Oh, the cobblers because the shoes. What are the price point boards in your stores? Like if if like say like some like. My uncle from Wichita comes in. He's like, I want to be a surfer, you know, or whatever. And he rolls in and he's, he doesn't know the culture. He doesn't know crap. He's just like, dude, I see these guys on wave storms or whatever. I just want to get out in the water. Like if I go into a spider surf shop, well, what what do you offer me? If I'm like, what's your price point? Board? Well, to be honest with you, what we do at the beginning of every summer, because we watch the large vendors selling to Costco and stuff, is we go into Costco and we actually purchase $99 wave storms, which oh. which beats the crap out of me. I hate doing it. Yeah. But that guy's going to walk out and he's going to get a wetsuit, a, a whatever wetsuit there, and right. their trunks there and stuff. So we lose that customer. So we add 20 bucks to it. Right. So that's kind of the entry. They're $99, so you say a buck 20 for the entry level. Right. And then we used to carry torques. And then um, I was getting my... Torque is an imported... Uh, is it, it's imported, from China. Yeah. And it's a great quality surfboard. I'm not discounting it. You know I mean? That was the other thing Bob's telling me is, you know, some of the stuff that's coming in is better than some of the stuff that's manufactured. And I can't disagree with that. But it's not better than mine. That's my problem. Right. And yeah. I don't care about the other people. I but care you, about see, you seem like you're busy, though. You seem like you're making a lot of boards. You, yeah, it's you're not even about that. It's not about... It's about the culture and the heritage. So... So I actually agree with that. I so, think that's the the deeper thing here because I think we're fighting a losing battle yep. if we're fighting the fiscal battle. Yep. Because at the end of the day, we're all capitalists. I no, think. I, I in fact that's what I was supposed. To, my note said I was going to start off with. I'm not here to punch anybody in. The, you know. Again, so let's I, focus on the I'm, cultural I'm, side of it because yeah, you so, mentioned something, and in the intro to this, um, you didn't hear I, it, but I basically, I, I basically state the mission statement of the boardroom show which is our culture is based in, in the surfboard since day one since the ancient kahunas cut down koa trees right and shaped boards it was all about when's my board getting done when's it you know and those guys were the guys that everyone looked to for hey what are the waves going to be like and it's always been that way and as you mentioned the south bay is a massive of a massive importance with 
Noel and Velzi and Jacobs and, you know, the list is endless, right? Bing Copeland, all these guys, Dewey Weber, of course. So if it's not about the fiscal part, if it's really about the cultural part, and I'm assuming that that's what, that's what you think, that look, making the level, making the playing field is level, uh, making it level is possible. Maybe, maybe we can do it a little bit. Maybe we can get right. a little bit of inroads. We're probably right. not going to win that war because I think that war is on the retailer's front. I think the retailer is the one that's like, dude, why wouldn't I do this? And you're a retailer, so exactly. you get it. Exactly. And it's like, why wouldn't I do this? These are killer boards. There's 14 year old kids and their moms want this board. And, and if I don't do it, by the way, the guy down the road, my competitor is going to be doing it. So, and, and, and they're giving and them I, to me for free. It's kind of like you'd be stupid not to. However, we get now we switch to the cultural thing. Well, what about the cultural thing? Um, you said on Instagram that this is a moral and ethical issue. It's 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 beyond what we've been discussing, like tariffs and all of that stuff. And it's so, it's really about the the fiber of our culture and if the fiber of our culture if it's so, shot through with surfboard manufacturing so I, I wrote down a really really great thing and i can't find it it was so good it was like i was in the car and i was gonna i was on my way down here and yeah basically it was this and and this is the high point is if the actual manufacturing if the culture of manufacturing a surfboard turns into the the simplicity of making a barbie doll right the culture of of the manufacturing of a surfboard, right? Now, let, now let's just think about that for a second. Now let's back that up and look at a $200 billion, $200 billion company because that's what it is. What you have to look at is the soul is coming from the surfboard and that's the culture because you're only a surfer if you have a surfboard. You can be a body surfer, you can be a swimmer, but you, can't, you have to have a surfboard to be a surfer. Now when we back it up to the $200 billion industry, I'm speaking about snowboarding, skateboarding, uh, everything that, that comes off of action sports that's associated with that. Then you get into music, and then you get into feature films, and then you get into fashion, and then you get into the big stores. Travel. Is, you get into travel. You get into, uh, I mean, it's a huge monolithic. You can't even fathom how big it is. The tributaries that are broken off into every little vein in our existence that we are, we know as surfers comes from that surfboard. Now, when... When the Tyler Hazikians are gone, or you know, say, uh, you know, uh, do you uh, think Chris that do you think those two guys are going to be gone? Do you th do you think that it, that the imported surfboard is a threat to me, Scott? I own Tyler's surfboards. I own Christensen's surfboards. Right. I want to own one of your there, surfboards. There you so, so I'm not going to go buy that, my quiver. Isn't filled with that, Barbie dolls. That's a great question, and and this one generation shall pass, and they will be gone. So after this generation, if we if the people don't pick up the planer and they don't start getting dusty and stinky and smelly because diamond glass shut down because so many other factories are shutting down and you know and you, you gave me that face well I'm, I know I've, there was I've, other things that happened with it and he wanted to move on. I actually something. gave you that face for a different reason, but I don't want you to lose your train of thought. Okay. I, but I so, do want to so come back point, to my face. Bring, so, bring so, me back to my face in a minute. Okay. So, so, I wanna, so my point being, and then we got to get on to some happy stuff here. Um, no, no, no. This is all. No, happy, no, dude. no. We're talking about surfboards. Okay. What's wrong with that? No, it's all good. But you know, if if guys like Matt uh, Kinoshita or you know, uh, you know, Dane Hans and and Matt Parker and all these, if it, it, it just takes one generation, and then the history of why we're here is gone because it's all imported. It's just like 
Well, yeah, so you get to come here. It's like you go to the zoo to see uh, a <laughs> kid. You got to come here to see a, sur- a real <laughs> man-made surfboard or because you know it's headed to it. Well, I would point you to the to the guitar world, the guitar industry, right? I'm a guitar player. I'm a hack. I'm a kook. Yep. But I have um, Barbie doll guitars, so to speak. I have some Asian-made Squire Stratocasters. And I've also gotten to a place where I've started to buy American-made Fender Stratocasters because mm-hmm. I've been engaged in the culture long enough to realize and and I just want to hand, you know, I want an American-made product. Right. Like there's something in my DNA that's like, this is what all the guys are playing. This is like what I want. So I wonder, and, and I don't think, like if you look across the guitar build world, there's a bunch of luthiers that are making handcrafted guitars. Now, there's a bunch of overseas guitars being made for price point dollars, and they are what they are. But th- it seems like they've found a happy medium, and so the guys that are pulling it off—it's still a dying breed, you know. And, and so I don't you know, know about that. I don't know if well, the guitar, so, if the handcrafted guitar is a dying breed. I think they're out there. I think they will always be out there. I think there will always be people like you and I that cherish handcrafted items. I look at the Japanese market; those, the Japanese market is in love with handcrafted stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and by the way, this is just my gut feeling. I could be way wrong, but I think that you're being kind to let me speak. I think that <laughs> Americans in general, and I think people in general, really crave authentic handcrafted stuff and i don't think it'll ever go away now i don't i'm not saying it won't shrink i'm not saying it won't contract i don't know but i think there will always be a place for a handcrafted item be it a guitar or a surfboard yeah, but can or you make a living at it so there's people that are still doing it. and that's the difference is do you want to make a living out of something you love or do you want to go hammer nails and do shaping on the side so um and and again i'm not a soothsayer i can't tell you the future but i can tell you that it's kind of it looks kind of grim for i mean already in our city uh, three, three, two guys are barely hanging on, and one guy completely quit, and he moved to San Francisco to become a. But did somebody else start? Did a young kid you, start in his to place? Pick up, to yeah. his place? No, it's not. Well, like we don't know that. And again, that's what. Well, but we do because Hermosa Beach is only one point three square miles, and we pretty much know everything that goes on in that right. whole town. Right. If, you're, if you have to get a blank from somebody, and you have to take it somewhere, there are some people. That, uh, like I said, is I, I teach classes. I teach kids the artisan on hand shaping and how do you do it. Kind of like I'm, I'm you know, I mean, I, 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 I was inspired by Matt, you know, Kazuma. He do, just, do, when a kid says, hey, I want to be a shaper for my living, do you just go, dude, don't do it. It's a bad idea. Well, so the reason I do these classes isn't so much to teach a kid and steal my job. Right. Right. It's um, I want to communicate with them. So I have a, a, actually about a 35-minute, 40-minute PowerPoint presentation on all my board theory, mm-hmm. which why I think a board does what it does, how it does. I take them through EPS. I take them through, and if their eyes glaze over, we move on to the next thing. Right. But I show them water function. I show them water flow. I show them cavitation on channels. I show them all kinds of different things from underwater shots so they can understand what a surfboard does and why it does it. So if I do build them a surfboard, then they can say, well, that thing felt like you told me that it was sticky because the rail was too tucked on the nose or, you know, it was too sharp in the nose and it wasn't soft enough or eggy. You know, so these the communication opens up so I can actually work with them on their next surfboard to make it better. So I'm pretty hands-on. I, I, I actually, if somebody orders a surfboard from me, I will spend, you know, half an hour, hour, whatever it takes to create the program, Right. And then I screenshot everything from every angle. And then I send it off to them even before they've given me a deposit, you know, because I'm, I'm trusting, right? 
And then they go, well, you know, 18 and a half doesn't look right. And you see it in a 3D form. And then it comes back to me, we adjust a little bit, and then I say, hey, can you kick me down a couple of bucks because I'm going to go ahead and make this thing for you. Um, and so I'm very hands-on when it comes to that, but I also need feedback, and I need to communicate on the same language that I use when I do my shaping. And everybody has their own ideas and own, and own theories. You know, everybody in the industry does, whether, you know, and again, I, I'm, I always stray away from saying names, but the top guys and the bottom guys have their own ideas as to why, what does what. And I have my own. And in order for me to build you the best surf, where you kind of, I have to get in your head and you have to get in my head. So, and that's that's what worked the best for me in the 90s was I was able, they kind of lived at my house, all those guys, right? So we were all like a big happy family that would fight every once in a while. But I knew what they were talking about. They, I, I, you know, I'd go down to the beach with Ross Williams and and he had two brand new boards and he'd go out and, and catch a couple ways and go, yeah, I think this. And I was like, you're right. I saw it. It was sticky off the bottom. And, and you kind of had to do double turn. So the communication is key to your shaper. I think it's I think it's paramount. Um, and that's why I do that, you know. But also, what if one of these kids steps up? I mean, I ain't getting any younger, you know. And my youngest wants to be a pro surfer, and he wants to ride for Hurley, and he's a really great kid. But is he gonna, you know? And I have a legacy that I would like to hold on to, you know. I, I want to kind of pull back off of what I'm doing. I'd love it to be a Jarvis, kind of like Ed Sakel as Ryan Sakel. You know, Ed Sakel was my glasser. Ed was the, Ed is the man. Yeah, and 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 I watched that happen. I watched Ryan catapult, and now what Ryan's about Gumby? Did how did you get? Where did you get your shaping chops? Like, was it from so, working at Eddie Talbot's store? So or that's a really interesting story. Um, and that. That, that's a fun one to talk about. Um, I was, I, there, when the shop opened, it was myself, Eddie Talbot, uh, Pat Ryan, which is going to be, and a guy named Billy Robinson. I was just a little kid, 14, 15 years old. I forgot how old I was. And, and, and this Billy is Robinson, ET Surfboard. Yeah. And then, so I, I would just hang out there all the time. And then they, they would do WSAs. And so I was working Sundays all by myself in there. And then a guy named, uh, Ronnie Roach and, um, and, uh, Ronnie Roach and, and oh, Jimmy Brooks, they'd always just full on out of a movie. They would like come in and they'd duct tape me up, <laughs> leave me behind the counter in my wetsuit, whatever. It's just sure. classic, full Grom stuff. And uh, so anyhow, I was there for eleven years of my life, and and he was like my dad. I come from a broken family. When you say he, do you mean Eddie? I mean Eddie. He was my father. He was the person I looked up to, and yes, I learned a lot in business um, from him. And, and what he did was he took myself, Ed Sickle, Ralph Hopi, Teresa Gamboa, Dave Forrest, Kevin Anderson. I mean, there's a group of 10 of us, right? And he said, because he's doing so well in, um, in real estate, that he, um, that he would uh, let us buy into the, into the company. You know, he'd sell us each 5% for $30,000. Well, it was 1982. We're in a terrible recession. And I saved every penny. In fact, the cover shot that used to be, I got three covers over a period of two years, and I was getting paid from Ocean Pacific a little bit on covers and, or on, on, on photos. But I got a, a $1,200 check from, from Piping Hot uh, and something from OP. And that was the thing that I went into the bank and I put it down. I go, okay. And the lady goes, you never look at your book. And I go, I don't want to see it because if I see it, I'm going to spend it. And she goes, you should look. And I had $33,000. Awesome. So, well, it was awesome until I went there that day super <laughs> stoked thinking that I was going to own a piece of something I built. Yeah. And he told me no. He said, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I talked to my CPA. It's off. But you know what I will do is I'll match you. I'll match you $33,000. You can keep the keep the, uh, the in interest. And I was like, huh. 
well, that's kind of lame, you know? Nope, that's not what I want. I want, I'm bled here, you know? I mean, I grew up here. No, I don't. So I got in my car thinking I was going to do the whole tour, be like, you know, everywhere. And yeah. I was rich. And then I was hanging a left uh, in front of my house, and right where on my original store is, and there was a Feliz sign. And I go, ah, no. And I whipped a U-ball, went up there that night. I uh, got the key. The guy gave me the key on a Friday night, went in there, and I beat the crap out of the place and just said, I'm doing it. And so that's when I opened the shop. It was 1983, the summer of 83. Um, and um, and so my shaping skills came from Pat was my shaper. Gumby. Uh, Pat Gumby. Yeah. Ryan was my shaper for the longest period of time. And I was in South Africa. And um, as a matter of fact, and it was a Gunston 500 and, and those contests back in that day. And my boards just sucked. It felt like there was so much more salt in the water or something. I don't know what it was, but the boards were good and Hermosa, but they were terrible at the Bay of Plenty. Mm -hmm. And so I took one of them, the medium-sized board, and uh, and I took it to Safari Surf. And I said, hey, this board's almost brand new. I wrote it once. Can I trade it for materials? And they let me trade it for materials. And I went in a shaping room, and I shaped myself a surfboard. And I think I made it out of uh, two heats. You know, which still wasn't much, but I made, I realized, dude, I can shape. Yeah. And then when I came back, we had a, a there was a, an opportunity for a Japanese order, and uh, and I actually got to plane a hundred blanks as quickly as I could down the thickness. And we're talking about like seven four Ps that used to be like three and three quarters yeah. inch thick. And hard. And I had to get them down to two and a quarter. Right. So it was a lot of walking and a lot of learning on how to, you know, have the foot on the planer of on the blank and, and make it work. So that was kind of like my schooling. And then from that point forward I didn't look back and I just shaped all my boards and um and and I mean I kinda went backwards there. That was before while I was still at the shop. And then in eighty three uh, after that incident happened, and I just realized I'm in, and I opened my own store um, 35 years ago. In fact, this is our 35th anniversary. Oh, good. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. That's great. Um, I guess I'll turn the conversation back to this Asian, or I should say imported surfboards. We, we're running out of time here, but I want to make uh, sure that we touch on one thing, and and there's something that, remember, I, I made a face when you mentioned diamond glassing and other glass houses that are closing. And this is something that, this is just a theory I have. It's actually worse than a theory. It's a hypothesis. It has no, there's nothing that backs this. But I'm interested in knowing if there's any way any of us can determine how many American-made surfboards were made last year. I don't uh, think anyone knows. Uh -uh. And my hypothesis is I bet we've made more American made surfboards this year than we did last year. And that, and then the year before that, I think we're making a lot of boards and the, and I believe, and again, I, this could be total BS and I apologize if it is, but I wonder if there's just so many glass houses that, um, there's just too many glass houses. We had to, there's too many mom and pa glass houses out there. And we had to, well, there was a diamond in these places closed because there's just too many of us making surfboards. Okay. Um, that's not true. And you can talk to anybody at Blank Company. However, um, what I would like to change the subject to <laughs> while we have time right here. That subject is, was no good. Is, huh? Well, that's the thing right. is that, you know, it, it is, there's a big question there. I mean, we could ask the blank companies, how many blanks do they sell to U.S. manufacturers? That would be good. Us, and that'll give us a real That'd number. be a good number to um, get. And, and I because I bet your lobbyist guy is going to want to know. And I, get, and I almost guarantee it's going to be much lower than it was last year because there is more import boards coming in, filling those cracks. And there's a lot of backyard shapers that are no longer manufacturing 
because they're getting eaten up. But I want to move on to this. Okay. It's called U.S. Board Builders Association, and it's put together by a group of people. Now, mine is American Board Builders, and mine is just so that's a dot like com, right? AmericanBoardBuilders.com. And that's where you can get the petition and yes. sign the petition. Yes, so the people petition. need to know that. My goal is just to get a, a temperature on who really cares if you're a surfboard manufacturer and you care, sign the petition. Because if, if I don't hit a certain number, then and again, I'm not Braveheart, but I'm gonna probably stop I'm gonna probably stop and I'm just gonna go back to my local fight, which right. is there is a local fight going on. But this is going to be a national thing right here. It's called, and I want you to take yeah, a look at it. It's pretty piece. awesome. Yeah. So what they've done is um, when I started this thing, I got together with these guys because I knew that they were doing something similar. But there is a real 501c3, and there's about transparency and education. In fact, if you take a look at the second page here, sure. um, what they have is they have this really cool sticker that if you become uh, allianced with them and, and you become part of the membership like a union, you're going to get these stickers to put on your surfboard so we all know your kumbaya. Now, mm -hmm. you don't have to purchase your blanks here or your resin here, but you have to manufacture it here in the United States. Mm -hmm. The manufacturing part is the key component to this. And if you take a look, there's a sticker that's not finished yet, mm -hmm. but this is a sticker that's going to be available to Alliance members as well. And what it is is uh, on this sticker, you at home can't see it, but you actually circle what kind of blank it is, and it'll tell you where it was made. You figure out what the fiberglass is, and all the way down the line, if you want to get that detailed. So the consumer becomes, the transparency actually becomes real. Right. And and the consumer becomes knowledgeable as to what, well, well this report fell apart really quick. Well, where was the blank made? Okay, well, maybe it was the blank. Okay, where, where was this fin box made? You know, so they can actually put together these components, and, um, and, um, I don't want to do it. Okay, so the alliance is specifically to educate through advertising, and I think there will be fees. It's a union type uh, model, and they are they're not on a negative campaign, and they're only here to educate. So it's U.S. Board Builders Association, and their launch is I believe it's July first, is what they say. Who's they? Who created this? Well, it's a group of guys that. Um, that want to remain anonymous right now, and when they come out, when it comes out, I'm sure everybody's gonna know about it. <laughs> That's kind of interesting that they yeah. want transparency, but they want to remain anonymous. Well, and here's why: because um, you know, I've I've witnessed on Instagram the the life and death of good ideas, yeah. you know, and people not getting to get their full pledge out and their full mission statement out and and rub through. This I stole. They said, "Hey, you're going down there. Why don't you give us a little plug?" They're, when they're ready to come out, they will come out. Good. And it's not they like they're a, a okay. black market something, but right. it's, it's going to be a great thing for uh, artists and surfboards. And that logo that'll go on each American-made surfboard mm -hmm. will do a lot for the consumer, as yes. you mentioned. And it also kind of helps with, you know, the idea is that if there was a boards that were coming in that were um, had a duty put on them, there of course would need to be a label on those boards that says where they're produced, where they're manufactured. Well, and, and this sort of counteracts well, so that's, that. that's the second tier that we didn't get into, and that's such a negative one because it's rumors, and the rumors are that, that you know, and, and that was one of the things Biolis was fighting for was to have the stickers put underneath the fiberglass on all these surfboards. And this is back, what, 15 years ago? Yeah, a long time, and, yeah. And, um, and they actually went in front of Congress is what I was told, and they actually sp spoke and had all the, you know, everything you need, but what you need is you need a lobbyist to go from congressman to congressman and have lunch and, and, and have lunch yeah. and to do the whole game in order to change opinions. Yeah. So I tell you right now, Scott, I don't know if 
anything's going to come of this. I just, I'm a fighter. I got a family. I've got, we've got 72 employees out of my three stores. I got to take care of them. I got to take care of my business in my backyard. And that's what I'm doing right now. And, and through this education I've given myself, um, I'm finding that it gets tougher and tougher and there's a lot of name calling. I don't call anybody names. I, I give full respect to all the guys that are manufacturing surfboards here or abroad. It doesn't matter. And if you're a great marketer and you're, and you're just a designer, congratulations. And you're making millions of dollars or whatever you're doing, you did it. But that doesn't mean that I can't have my own mission to save my own business and to pay my own bills to my vendors. Sure. And so there, no, I'm not calling anybody any names. I'm not telling anybody to be shut down. No, but I think I'll you're be, a great voice for this cause, well, quite frankly, because there have been some voices that aren't so um, cogent. I'm in agreement. Yeah. And and um, I don't know if I want to be that voice, though. I want to. I want to. Well, it seems like this U.S. Board Builders yes. Alliance or 501C or whatever it is should be that voice. Now, I wish them well. And if there's anything I can do to help with that, I'd like to know what it is. Um, it's it's tough, as you know, and probably better than I do, how hard it is to get the surfboard manufacturing industry together, together <laughs> and in agreement. And we're going to find because out. Because we're all just such individuals. And there are all so right. many little ma and pa's glass houses around here that everyone's oh some people are like oh, i'm too busy you know or whatever and so it, it it sort of depends how much pain there is if there's enough pain we can get everyone to sign on and i i think there is a lot of pain uh, at least that's what i'm getting personally um and whether these guys are you know top shapers or backyard builders they're just afraid of their livelihood and that's really what it comes down to and and they're witnessing less and less board sales and they're seeing the rack space where they would sell, say three shapers are in a town, or let's say one shaper had three shops in a town and he's selling two. And then a guy walks in and says, hey, I'll put 25 surfboards in this rack. In fact, you only have 50 racks, I want 25 of them. Well, now that guy's livelihood, when those were his 25 spaces, or maybe he only had 10 in that and 10 in the other, so it's 30 spaces, he gets booted. So, And the thing is, I'm not here to champion that guy either. I'm here to champion myself. But if, if through that process we can get more people to raise awareness, then that. What's the ratio look like? Like if 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 I was to open a retail store and I'm like, you know what? Um, Don't do it. Well, no, I would I, I would I would search you out and I would say, Dennis, I need some guidance. Okay, I've got racks. I got rack space. Um, I know basically I got a pretty good idea what the market wants, what the consumer wants. Um, doesn't seem like it would behoove me to have three boards from that guy, three boards from that guy, three boards from that guy, three boards from that. You know what I mean? It seems like I would want a rack of CIs, maybe a rack of Campbell Brothers, maybe a rack of hipster longboards, but all kind of from the same company so that I can get their full, the full breadth and width of what it is they create. Right, because everybody, there's so many models out there right now. In fact, that was the thing that happened through like, uh, you know, probably the year 2000, 2001 models became, so everybody kind of had a model. I know, but then it all did of a turn, sudden, I, I know. Think, I think it, it was, was a marketing a, thing. I think right? it was a dumpster diver that kind of really shot it through the roof. That and the and the baby blue, uh, all of a sudden, if people were spitting out a new model, it made you want to buy it. It was like a, um, what's that endorphin that you get where every time you yeah, get Yeah, Pavlov's it, dog, like, yeah. right? It was like, oh, there's a new one, I'm getting it. And, and that was really cool. Let's talk about some really cool other stuff, though, before I get off the air here. So I'm going to do an arch. Wait a minute. You didn't answer my question. <laughs> oh, which one? <laughs> my question was, when we've got time, oh, okay. my question was, what would you suggest I do? Because 
the idea that a shop should have all the local shapers in it doesn't make sense to me from a retailer standpoint. No, I want, I'm, I'm going to want no, my right. local guy. I'm going to want, you know, Larry Maybill and I'm going to want Christensen exactly. and I'm going to exactly. want, you know, um, I, I'm in agreement with you. On and that. so, like, so, so I we, can't, I can't look at, let's take a look at the, 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 um, the monolithic humongous brand called Quicksilver that just purchased Billabong. They just opened a store in Malibu. You walk in there and they have a smattering of surfboards here and there. And they have exactly what you said. That's the lineup that they have. They were supposed to actually, um, McKnight said I was supposed to get some surfboards in there, but I got edged out by somebody else <laughs> anyhow yeah, uh, hopefully i'll get i'll get in there so it's all good but but the reality is that they did exactly what you said they have some they have some hipster boards they have some you know they have stamps in there which you know tim's an awesome shaper and artisan just full great guy and and they also have some of the other boards that we've been talking about too you know and so i'm curious to see how their sell through is what would you tell me to do if i was a retailer what would you tell me well, to how would you want my racks filled out like what's the perfect thing you know like well, so, and you know that that there's my consumer base is going to want certain boards, you know, right. like whatever they are. And I'm saying, let's just say I'm paying full pop. I'm not right. doing any consignment. I just want to know what you think the great ratio is. Cause I feel like I'm going to want, like if I'm in the South Bay, I'm going to want some fireball fishes, you know, like give me six of those right. in, in six different sizes and maybe two of your other summer well, actually models. Actually won't because you'd be competing, competing directly against me. Well, so my the point local is, shaper thing is also the issue is because you know, I mean, I want to help local shapers and I have no problem with it. In fact, I wanted to carry some of the local guys, but when I put their board in there, I have to sell it for 550. And then you go down to El Porto and they're selling out of the back of their truck for 385. Well, and they're getting cash for theirs. And then I'm like, well, wait, you know, you're competing directly against me. So that model didn't work. Right. We exactly. walked away from exactly. that 10 years ago. Exactly. So, um, you but know, that guy's still out there. That guy is out of still the back of his truck. He is still out there. But the thing is, that, so you have now it's called direct to consumer. Right? And so you have, you know, guys like uh, Dane Hans, Hans, who, who, you know, we're gonna probably do a collab and we're gonna do a deal where he'll be making spider boards for us up there. But we'll probably throw some of his his Vulcan boards in the shop too. You know, I mean, we're gonna feel that out. So the thing is, it is such a weird time. I've never seen the water so crowded in my entire life in, in Manhattan Beach and in El Porto. It's never, and there's no surf. And it's so, <laughs> and it's so freaking crowded. I literally, Down at the dime? I take my I take my son surfing every day, because again, everybody wants to know, he wants to be a pro surfer. And, and I look down and I just go, it is packed. And there's no surf. And I, and I don't know where these people are coming from. It's so crowded. I've, again, I've never seen so many surfboards sold, but I would beg to differ with you that they're American-made. Well, I'm not saying they are. I, I, think, I, I think just I'm, if we take a cross-section of Man, uh, Huntington Beach and Hermosa Beach, which I travel both back and forth quite a bit, um, I see more imported surfboards than I've ever seen of legit, you know, USA-made boards, American-branded right, right. boards. Um, so I don't know what I would, you know, first thing that, that um, you know, you don't make money on surfboards. That's the main thing. You know, I mean, I kind of do, but I don't really because I, I'm the shaper and the owner and I still have a huge overhead and stuff. So I kind of, I save a little bucks here and there because I'm the shaper and designer, but you know, I'm still paying 50 bucks for an airbrush that in my day, because I started as an airbrusher, that in my day was a $20 spray. And I'm like, Dude, I can't mark $5 on a $50 airbrush. You're killing me here, really? And they're going, there's only like, in the whole world, everybody, there's only four airbrushes right now. They're all gone. <laughs> They've all disappeared. There's four. <laughs> Literally. And so they, they kind of own you, and you pay what you pay, 
and and so the margins are getting slimmer on on our on our end. Um, and I forget where I was going with that because I was just well, I, I had originally asked you what how how I should fill my rack space. Yeah. Well, um, I I think that Instagram would tell you. I mean, I could tell you right now. I would, you know, you would take a look at. Um, but again, it is a location. And I don't even. Thing. It I'm, is a I'm location more, thing. I don't think we can sell spider surfboards. Not even. Adventure. I don't even want to know name brands. I'm just wondering, like, how many different brands should I have? Should I have three different brands, and then maybe how, one how, local which, guy? Which, which rack? Let's is? say it's let's say it's Hanson's. Like a, Hanson's let's, is huge. Yeah. Yeah. So there, you, the sky's the limit. In fact. Yeah, but you don't want to so fill big. your racks with 15 different guys. You maybe want six different guys, well, right? You want no, six different because brands. Each guy has their, like like. For me, even though I don't want to be known right now as a fireball guy, I mean, I'm doing a ton of fireballs. And right. the thing is that, you know, I also made boards for world champions that are regular river boards, you know. And But it's kind of coming around again. I just, maybe I became relevant because I brought that back. And and that's a great segue into the fireball fish. Let's have that discussion <laughs> on, on why I did. Instagram does more for your fireball fish than this conversation. <laughs> I guarantee you. Okay. We all love all your right. fireball fish. Okay. I all want right. one. I'm surprised so you didn't bring me one. Let me talk. Let's talk about something that's real positive on this note. This is called happy endings here. So I've been working with Al Marasucci, who's our assemblyman in uh, the South Bay. He's a really unbelievable guy. He got a hold of me and he said, Dennis, we want to try to turn uh, surfing into the state sport of California. And so I've been working with him along with having discussion about legally what can we can't do about, you know, getting an import duty put on surfboards and ensure that the point of origin stickers are on the surfboards and not sanded off. And he knows my whole plate. But right. on the upside, we uh, we got it through to, uh, to, I think it's waiting for a signature on Jerry Brown. Or it's close to it. And, um, and it, it's been pretty easy. You know, people are kind of digging it. Because it's a state it's a proclamation. Lifestyle. Yeah. So we will, the surfing will be the state sport or that's the sport of the state of California. Official sport. The official sport. Right. And, um, and so it's pretty exciting. That's really cool. We live in a really cool time, but, um, that's actually you know, very powerful yes, in, in a way that we probably don't even realize. Oh yeah. Yourself. And I think that that's going to help out Absolutely. our industry. Absolutely. You know, um, and, and are there craft beer places in the South Bay? Are you kidding? No. It's all craft beer. That's my point. I've, I was talking to Sharpie, um, uh -huh. uh, Mauricio, about this at Surf Expo. Mm -hmm. And the South Bay is a hub of surfboard manufacturing, as we've mentioned, since the 50s. And so is San Diego with Larry Gordon and, and uh, Gordon Smith and Lloyd right. Smith. And so you have these two. And, and it blows my mind that municipalities are searching for an identity. So they're like, hey, let's be the craft brew town. Oh, when right in their own backyard is, is like 50, 60, 70 years of surfboard manufacturing heritage that they could wrap their arms around and embrace and celebrate. And I don't know why these people are so dimwitted. Because every, uh, so every go, town is a craft beer place. I go in front of the city all the time. And anytime we do Surf Fest, which is down on the Hermosa Plaza, I hand these out. By the way, it's a bumper sticker that says Hermosa, the true surf city. Dude, the waves suck in Hermosa. And, <laughs> what's that? The waves are no good in Hermosa. Oh, it doesn't mean it's really a good surf city. It just means it's what about, the surf city. What about city. Santa Cruz? I claim well, so, Santa Cruz is the well, true so, surf city. But you say that because... because the waves are good. Somebody... Well, okay, if you're going to go off of that, then let's... I mean, that's not that's apples to oranges. Again, the conversation I had was I, I believe that we are the Hermosa Beach is the Gutenberg or the printing press, and and Hap Jacobs and Dale Velzi and Greg Knoll and Dewey Weber are the Gutenbergs of the sport, and it all originated in the space that that now Scott Anderson's glass shop is in, which is Greg Knoll's factory on Cypress. 
and it and it has weeded out. There's no longer, there used to be a lot of glass shops. Mangeli is still there. He was the glasser for Rick Surfboards and Becker. They're still there, but they've pulled back because again, it's getting tougher and tougher to sell surfboards. And so what for an identity, when we're talking about Hermosa, I've, I'm telling them this is a commerce that could be huge. If, if, if even if you're a, a, a butcher shop or you're a, you're a, a haircut salon, you, you can make garments that say, and it gives us a real identity and it's not a lie. It's the truth. Even though, you know, you have Huntington Beach, you have Santa Cruz and everybody says, well, you know, this guy, I was told that, I, I don't know if it was Tim Kelly, but that, that Duke, his first wave that he caught in California. And again, everybody has their folklore was out at Second Street in Hermosa Beach. Let's go with it then. I've got a question though. Why the ugly? I'm holding, Dennis has handed me this bumper sticker. That's the brown city. and yellow is hideous. This looks like the San Diego Padres from 1979 or something. That's our city colors. You got to change this. We need to change this. This is not okay. This is not sunshine. I have I have a guy that moved to Doheny uh, specifically because he hated the colors of our city. We got, it's is, not too late. If we're going to, yeah, we need to do something. Which is okra brown and dark chocolate brown so there it's not yeah it's not good we need to work on that um dennis you've said it all we've okay. said it all what else can we say dennis are we well uh you know we don't have to say anything either right. sometimes silence is wonderful yeah on a podcast of course um you know i i think that's kind of it you know in closing i said a happy thing you know about i want to i've certain, got something i want to tell and you and then and then um you know just just on the upbeat uh, you know, everybody that's that's in a shaping room right now and they can't figure out how to turn a rail or they can't, you know, they have some some screen and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to just make the rails even. And I went through a board yesterday for Dane's on and the rails were just, there was something wrong and, and I couldn't get it right. It was an EPS and it's, they're, they're tough, but I, I sand them down to 220. So I feel every little nook and cranny and it took me an hour to, finish the thing off and it came out perfect right but just keep going for it you know i mean you, you if you're a shaper out there a backyard shaper whatever you are you're you're the future you know you're the heritage you're the culture that we need to keep you know whether you're a good shaper or a bad shaper right now you got to keep moving forward on that and and you know you watch guys like kazuma on his instagram and he teaches you so many secrets you know i got in trouble because there was a blank and it had a dent in it from the suction and i took a heat gun and I went over and I showed everybody on my Instagram how you get that den out without filling it. And people are going, dude, that's a secret. And then other people are going, that's so cool. And other guys are going, oh, that's an old trick. Well, the reality is we got to share and give give forward. You know, we got to keep doing things positive to keep our culture alive. I asked my son today, I said, I'm going to be talking with Dennis Jarvis. We're going to be talking about American built surfboards. And I said, son, what do you want to ride? Like, You've had firewires. You've loved them. They're killer. Um, well, what do you, you know? And we got into basically the conversation you and I have had here today. And he left going, you know what? I want to ride is I want to ride authentic crafted equipment. Awesome. And it kind of blew my mind that he was there because I, I wouldn't wouldn't have surprised me if he's like, I want to ride that thing that, you know, X, Y, and Z is riding because he rips right. and he's on the cover of everything. Right. And I was kind of um, heartened by that. It was kind of cool. Well, and, and actually... You know, I don't do wholesale. I do. I have. I have an account in Israel. I have Brave New World on the East Coast. I, you know, I, you know, I have a smattering of accounts that I deal with, and these are just people that have been with me forever. And actually, I just opened Brave New World again. You know, Chuck called me from back there, and 
you want to get some fireballs, of course. You want to get this. I'm like, okay, we'll do it. Um, and I go, so how's it going back there? You know, what's going on? He goes, people are kind of, kind of sniffing around what the import thing is. And like, and so that was another thing that kind of made, raised the temperature for me to even go to why I'm even here right now. Is that, so it is the retailers. It's all the retailers. I mean, yes, those, the importers, congratulations, you guys are winning, you know, but it's the retailers that are accepting it that, that if they don't give the conversation, and again, why would you? Because you're going to make money off of the sale. So it really comes down to, you know, your ethics and your morals or, or whatever it is. And, and that's, those are big words to be using for that. That I mean, it's those are probably too lean, um, but it, it really does come down to the retailer. And if he's giving the full information of where the board was made and how it was made, and that's the, again, and that's that's what not, that's not my job, but that'll be the U.S. Board Builders Alliance. That's for them to do. That's their advertising. That's their marketing. And um, and I'm just you know, I'm hopeful. I'm just trying to be hopeful. Dennis, yes, Jarvis, sir. we've said a lot. We've said a lot today. Is there anything else that we can touch on regarding well, this this hot topic? <laughs> Well, I was going to try to talk about some other fun stuff. No, but, we don't want to talk. But we'll do it another time. Exactly. Yeah. Let's do it another time. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Good stuff. Thanks, Scott. A couple of quick post-interview comments. I think it would be beneficial to somehow determine exactly how many boards are being produced in the USA each and every year. Frankly, it is the very first question a lobbyist will ask. The consignment model is difficult to combat. If you owned a store and were given free product to sell with no strings attached and the product you were selling is what your consumers were asking for, well, that's pretty good business. If you want to do something about the consignment model, I'd suggest buying boards from a local builder or a retailer who does not participate in said consignment model. I don't believe in my heart of hearts that hand-shaped custom American-built surfboards will ever go away. I have four boards on order right now. Full pop pricing, no bro deals here. Direct-to-consumer custom surfboards is happening, and you can sell them at retail prices so your margin just widened a bit. And the really smart ones have well-thought-out marketing on Instagram and elsewhere to tell their authentic story. As most of you know, it's already happening. Our surfboard building culture is being fulfilled, at least here in San Diego, by a list of incredible craftsmen and craftswomen, including but not limited to, and in no particular order, Bob Mitzvin, Josh Hall, Chris Christensen, Larry Mabiel, Mauricio Zuvi, Javier at XTR, Chemistry Surfboards, Blackbird Surfboards, Bill Menard, Zen Surfboards, Afinita Surfboards, Michael Miller Surfboards, Donald Takayama, Ryan Sakel, John Wegner, Rusty, Matt Calvani, Ryan Birch, Brian Szymanski, Todd McFarland, Greg Sarich, Barry Snyder, Jack Sabala, Craig Hollingsworth, Hank Bizak, and look, I'm leaving out at least 30 or 40 others, or more, just in San Diego. And I'm sorry if I left you off the list. The point is, the culture of designed, handcrafted, custom American surfboards is alive. Is it thriving? Are these shapers millionaires? I don't know. Is it a struggle? Probably. It's a struggle selling cars for a living, or laying tile, or selling insurance. We all have our ups and downs. Life is a struggle. 
As the Dowager on Downton Abbey once said, life is a series of unresolved problems. But we live in the USA. We build surfboards, we go surfing, and we can do whatever pleases us. In the next episode, we will interview Mark Price from Firewire Surfboard.